Thank you, Autumn. Uh, glad you're feeling better, too. You who are down with it, too. Great to have you back. Wonderful, uh, wonderful uh, music. Just wonderful. If you would, please uh, turn to Luke chapter 5. Excuse me, Luke chapter 6. We've turned the page on that one. This is part two of the rest of the story. If anybody remembers Paul Harvey, today we're going to get the rest of the story. In case you weren't with us last week, uh, we've been discussing how New Testament Christians are to observe the fourth commandment, the commandment of the Sabbath day found in Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 where it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. There are some denominations today who insist that Saturday is still considered to be uh, the Sabbath day. There are others who believe that Sunday now has become the Christian Sabbath day for the New Testament Christian. Still others suggest there's no Sabbath rest at all to observe in the New Testament. All three of those views are incorrect. Incorrect. For the Christian, the Sabbath is not on Saturday, nor is it on Sunday. Yet our scripture reading earlier ensures there does remain a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4 verse 9. And now you're saying, after reading through Hebrews chapter 3 and part of chapter 4 and all this, I'm just confused on what the Sabbath is. Uh, My hope is you won't be by the time we finish here. Uh, Last week, we learned the Sabbath day rest. Uh, It was a day to cease work, to stop work, as God stopped working after his creation uh, in six days. He wasn't tired. It was a stoppage of work. He, he rested as a pattern of, of all of us who would need to be able to physically rest. Yet he didn't impose that on the patriarchs. It was given to Moses on Mount Sinai as part of the law to ensure when Israel entered into the promised land, when those people finally made it there, they wouldn't become like their oppressors back in Egypt. Those oppressors who, who they were slaves to, the Sabbath law is a part of the Mosaic law, the Sabbath day that is. And if you refer back to Exodus chapter 5, you'll see there the Pharaoh, he was a very abusive man. In fact, he, he appointed taskmasters over Israel to drive them hard. A lot like the movie The Ten Commandments, right? You've seen that? No rest, just drive them hard. Abuse them, beat the slaves. Yet when Israel complained to Pharaoh, he was still ruthless. He responded in Exodus 5, verse 17, saying, You are lazy. Very lazy. That's the kind of rest that he gave the people of God. So the fourth commandment was given as a display of God's mercy. Every man, woman, slave, and beast would have a day now as they entered the promised land after Mount Sinai. They would have a fixed day to rest their bodies. They would have a day to bandage their injuries, to recover. They would have a day of healing, a day where they're free uh, from other 
interests in, in, in work so that they could focus more on their relationship with God, a day of worship, you might call it. In a nutshell, it was a day to cease all commercial activity, commercial labor, so that you could focus on worshiping God and serving your fellow man, doing good to those who needed uh, needed a helping hand. And, and it was intended, the Sabbath day, it was given as a blessing. Can you see that? It, it was meant to be a blessing to people. Our Lord Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath day was made as a day to bring relief to their misery that they experienced while they were in slavery, while they were in bondage in Egypt. No more of that, God says. But the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, those who were in charge of religious things, they didn't emphasize rest. That wasn't the emphasis of their theology. Uh, They didn't emphasize doing good to others, healing, taking care of one another. They magnified the prohibition against work. They emphasized the the law to not work. That, that That was the... The, the bulk of their theology wasn't about rest and about God's mercy. And according to their tradition, a woman could not pluck out a gray hair. That would be considered reaping. You could not wear false teeth on the Sabbath. You were carrying something. You were carrying a burden. There are thousands of these laws that they had, a a network of laws. Um, Of course, nowhere do the scriptures assert such things at all. Yet through this network uh, of man-made ordinances, really thousands of them, they had father works, parent works, and and then works that spawned out of that as far as uh, prohibitions against any kind of work. Um, Their regulations... On the Sabbath day, it had become just a grievous burden. The day was nothing to look forward to as far as rest and and enjoyment and taking care of one another in a a day to to celebrate God's rest. It just become a burden. And Jesus then, he comes on the picture and he just refuses to yield to their traditions. This network of traditions that they made up. Why? Why? Well, the answer is very clear. In order to embrace their network of traditions, he would have to invalidate what the law of God said. He would have to deny the word of God in order to embrace what they had manufactured. The the religion of the Pharisees, it wasn't about providing rest and relief. Uh, It was all about holding others captive to man-made rules. That's what it had become. Uh, False religion is often about controlling others, isn't it? You think of the cults and the rules and things that they bind to people. It's all about control. It's about controlling others. And, and Christ had come. He said, I've come, Luke chapter 4 that we passed through a couple months ago. I've come to set the captives free, right? I'm going to liberate those people that are in bondage. So there ends up being a big confrontation over the Sabbath and the Sabbath laws. This is a big one. Uh, the, the Sabbath itself acted as, as kind of a linchpin, a master pin uh, to their religious system of regulations. If you pull that out, 
If you expose that as, as false and fabricated, uh, their scheme is exposed, their pyramid of rules, it comes tumbling down. So Jesus was a very legitimate threat to them. Very legitimate threat. Uh, but they saw in the law, if they could convict Jesus, or if they could get him to willfully acknowledge that, that he had broken the Sabbath, the law permitted them to stone him. Right? That's what they're trying to snare him into. So we have this conflict. Luke chapter 6, verse 1, as we look at it, we read it last week, so I'm not going to read it again. Uh, it's probably not the first Sabbath confrontation. The Gospels record three Sabbath conflicts between Pharisee, the Pharisees and Jesus. There are two here and, and one other recorded in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 5, Jesus, it says, had traveled to Jerusalem for one of the feasts. And there he comes across a man at the pool of Bethesda. Remember? The lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And if you remember, it is there that Jesus tells this man, after healing him, to pick up his bed and walk, right? The Jews didn't actually witness Jesus healing the man on this occasion. What they saw was a man who had picked up his mat and walked. Big violation. You can't carry a bed on the Sabbath day. And it wasn't until uh, the man identified Jesus later on in that narrative of John chapter 5, if you want to read it later, when he identifies who his healer was, it wasn't until then that we are told the Jews began persecuting Jesus. They were persecuting him. Why? John indicates the reason was because Jesus was healing. Bringing healing on the Sabbath. So, So they persecute him. He responds, Jesus responds to them, to the persecution by saying, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Right? So, so even though God ceased from his creative work, those six days and then he rested, even though he has already created, he ceased from that work, Jesus assures them, the father is always working. We, we all know that, right? God is always working. Uh, he sustains the universe. He answers our prayer. He provides relief to us and healing. Uh, uh, he, every good gift uh, comes from above, from the Father of lights. He saves people. God's always at working. And when it comes to blessings and goodness, nobody can deny that God's always working, even on the Sabbath, right? Therefore, Jesus insists that when it comes to doing good to others, doing good things, I too, like my Father in heaven, I'm always working. Jesus says, even on the Sabbath. Well, what kind of response does that bring Jesus? I'll read it to you. Verse 18 of John chapter 5. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. That was most likely the first of these three Sabbath conflicts. Um, it probably happened not too 
too long previous to what we're looking at in Luke chapter 6. But the Apostle John assures us that even before Luke chapter 6 verse 1, even before then the Pharisees were already trying to establish grounds to kill him. They wanted him out of the picture. He was a threat. So look with me at Luke chapter 6 verse 1 to observe the second Sabbath conflict. They're out watching him now. They're out after him. It says, Now it happened that that Jesus was passing through some of the grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, now here's the rub. Plucking heads of grain as you're passing through your neighbor's field and, and rubbing them together uh, to get a little something to eat, as long as you're satisfying your hunger, that's not a violation of the Levitical law. It's not a violation of it. Uh, as long as it's not for commercial profit, laboring for profit, Deuteronomy 23 verse 25 says, uh, in a neighbor's field, you, you may pluck grain with your hand, but you cannot wield a sickle. See the difference? Trying to grab a snack versus going full out combining, you know? So the disciples and Jesus, they weren't doing anything wrong here according to their law, uh, to the Mosaic law. If your translation happens to say corn, it might. Uh, Don't be concerned. Don't be concerned about that. Uh, We know from probably learning in school that, that Indian corn or maize... That, that all came over from America to Europe, right? There was no corn in ancient Israel. Did you know that? That might concern some people. It shouldn't. Um, the Greek text here doesn't demand that it be corn. In fact, the Old English, the Old King James English, does not demand that this is corn. In the day that Old English was, uh, was written, corn in England could represent any general grain. So when they were writing it, the the King James Version, corn was more of a general description of grain. After the Indian corn came over, then it took on a new meaning. There there wasn't corn, as far as we know, in any way, shape, or form in ancient Israel. Uh, 500 years ago, it was just a term that England used more in a general sense. Uh, The disciples were rubbing probably heads of wheat, maybe barley, uh, into their hands so that they could have something to eat. was not unlawful whatsoever, but it did violate pharisaical tradition. It violated one of their rules. And look at Jesus' response. Have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? And he and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for any to eat except the priests alone, and gave it to his companions. David's companions that were traveling with him. The parallel here for the Pharisees, it should have been immediately evident. Immediately evident. David, at the time, was already God's anointed. Already... uh, waiting to assume the throne in Israel, right? 
Yet he and his companions, they're being hounded by the dying dynasty of Saul. Saul was out to kill King David, right? Saul's dynasty was corrupt. It had turned corrupt. In fact, he was scheming to put David to death so that he would not ascend to the throne of Israel. You see the parallel here? Wanting to kill the king so that he might not have the throne. Here too, the Pharisees, who were were part of a corrupt and dying dynasty, they were scheming to put to death God's anointed heir to the Davidic throne, that being Jesus. And the reason David's men were permitted to eat the consecrated bread, which David gave to them, it's because they were in service to God's anointed king. They were serving the true king, the real king. And in reality, because of that, David's men, they were serving God because they were serving the anointed king. Jesus is arguing uh, from the behavior of David that it is permissible to set aside the law of God if you are directly in the service of God and working for the purposes of God. And he provides proof. In a parallel account found in Matthew chapter 12, you can look at later, it becomes part of Jesus' argument where he tells them this, Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are yet innocent? Jesus says, But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. The priests, they actually did a lot of work on the Sabbath. They had the sacrifices, they burned the incense, they would stoke the the, the brazen altar to make it hot. Do you you follow me? They were exempt from the Sabbath law, the Sabbath day law. Why? Because they were serving the purposes of God. That's the crux of Jesus' argument here. Do you follow me? The consecrated bread, it was there after it had sat there a week for for the consumption by the priests of God who were in service to God. That's why the bread, what the bread was used for. David merely took what was intended to, for priests in their service to God and provided it to his men, his companions, who were in service to God on that Sabbath. Uh, he broke the law technically, in a technical sense, but as king... David and his men serving the purposes of God were exempt because the higher service to God was protecting the life of God's anointed king, the coming king, from Saul. The higher purpose there was to protect David the king as they as a, were fleeing from Saul. Now, I acknowledge, uh, folks, this is hard stuff. Kind of hard to wrap your mind around, uh, especially uh, looking at it uh, for the first time. Um... But let me try to summarize what I believe Jesus' argument is quite simply is this. If you are engaged in the higher services of God, as the priests were, and actively in service to God, doing what God wants, you're exempt from the Sabbath law. You're exempt from the law prohibiting work if your work causes you to be in the service of God. I believe that's what Jesus is indicating in reference to David. There's another reason I think that. In Matthew chapter 12, he continues. Jesus essentially tells the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. When God says, 
I desire compassion and not sacrifice. What is prioritized in the word of God? Is it a sacrifice? The blood of bulls and goats? Or is it compassion? Is it rest? Is it healing? Which is prioritized? Jesus says, compassion. Therefore, in Matthew 12, verse 7, it says to the Pharisees, if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. If they had understood that compassion is a higher calling than the temple sacrifices, they would have not condemned the disciples nor Jesus who were both innocent according to God's word. They were simply in service to the king and to God. I, I think this is great stuff. They're innocent because they're serving God. And God allows priests to serve as long as it's in accordance with his purposes and the priority of his purposes is compassion. That, that's what the day of rest was given for in the first place. It wasn't given for burdensome rules and regulations. It was given to, to demonstrate mercy. Here's what I think is the most important point. The disciples, they, they weren't breaking the Sabbath law by picking a few heads of grain. But even if they had been, even if they had been, uh, even if they had walked into the temple and taken the, the consecrated bread that was only to be for the priest, they'd still be innocent. They'd still be innocent because what they had, were doing had been done in the service of their king, Jesus Christ. They'd still be innocent. When it comes to judging the anointed king, whether David or whether Jesus, when it comes to judging, casting judgment on the king, And the king's companions. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, you don't have any jurisdiction. I'm the king. He's not only the king, he's the Lord. We're going to see in a moment. So hang with me. When it comes to restricting, restriction of, or regulating the purposes of God, because of their zeal for the law, Because of their zeal for their traditions, the Pharisees had neglected the weightier things of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. We could keep adding love, joy, all the fruits of the Spirit you could put in and add in there. They had forsaken that. They invalidated the weightier things of the Word of God for the sake of preserving their tradition. They had erected, uh, built a barrier prohibiting service to God by serving your fellow man, by insisting it was unlawful to do good on the Sabbath. That was what the tradition of man concluded. You couldn't do work, you couldn't do good. Furthermore, in Luke chapter 6, verse 5, in our passage, Jesus was saying to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees know already the Son of Man is a, is a title used repeatedly by Jesus to refer to himself already uh, by this point in Luke. Uh, he's telling them, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I, I'm God's anointed Messiah. In one place that I read put it this way, as God incarnate, 
Jesus decides the true meaning of the Sabbath because he created it. He decides what's right and what's wrong on the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath is exempt. He's the king. And if you are in direct service to the king, if you're a companion to the king, and if you're fulfilling the higher purposes of of the law of God by doing good, by showing mercy, by demonstrating compassion, such things against there is no law. If you are in those activities, then as the Lord's servants, you're exempt as well. You're allowed to do good, is what Jesus is saying. He or she who is in service to God receives the same Sabbath exemption as the priest. You are permitted to work as long as it is rendering service to God. Not for commercial enterprises. He's he's defining for them the intention of the law when it was given. Scripture allows, it commands, it actually requires us to demonstrate compassion. Even on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not an exemption from doing good. You see, they had had so many rules and so many regulations, they had made the Sabbath a day exempted from doing good because you can't do anything. You can't carry a burden, you can't fix a broken limb, you can't do anything. They had made the Sabbath a day of being exempt from doing good. That's what man made it. But Jesus says doing good is actually exempt from the Sabbath law. Complete opposites of one another. You follow me? Through their rules and regulations, they had made prohibitions against doing good. They're exempt. I'm exempt from having to do that. Pharisees did that all the time. They wouldn't even provide uh, financial support to their parents. They would find ways to get exempt from helping anybody. Jesus says you don't have an exemption on the Sabbath from doing good. You can't, you can't see the law that way. That takes us to the next Sabbath conflict in verse 6 where he does more good. It says, On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath. That would have broke their law. They're watching him so that they might find reason to accuse him. Again, we know from the Gospel of John, they're already trying to kill him. So so this is, in a sense, a trap. According to their tradition, even setting a broken bone to, to use your arms, to use your strength to set a broken bone was a violation of the Sabbath that they had created. It's characterized as work. That's how much they perverted the Word of God. So, so they were hoping Jesus would at least reach out and touch someone, you know? Let's watch and see what he does. Maybe he'll exert himself somehow to help somebody, and then we can charge him. Boys, he disappoint them. It says, he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and he came forward, and Jesus said to them, saying to all of them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to destroy it? Their religion prevented them from lifting a finger 
to help anybody on the Sabbath, but their religion did not prevent them from scheming to kill somebody. That's a perverted religion. Folks, we need to ask ourselves, does our religion lead us into doing good? Does it lead us to lend a a healing hand? Does it cause us to, to visit the person who is sick in their distress? Does it cause us to feed the widow and the orphan? Does our religion drive us to that end? Or does it drive us to just scheme? To scheme concerning how we might condemn somebody because they have a few theological differences from us. Technicalities. Does our religion drive us to evangelize people and see people saved uh, from the wrath of God and, 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 the, and the effects of sin? Does our form of religion, uh, d- does what people think we should be, does, does people impression, is people's impression of what they think is quote-unquote religious, are we satisfying men in trying to give an appearance of being religious or rather, does it drive us to living a life that looks like Christ? Are we pleasing men or are we pleasing God? The Pharisees were just pleasing men. They weren't using the Sabbath for what it was meant to be. Healing and rest and love. They wanted to trip up Jesus to see if he could be accused of lifting a finger so that they can condemn him. Verse 10 After looking around at them all, Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Jesus ever touch him? No, he knew exactly what they were thinking. He saw the trap. Boy, it's frustrating to trick a man who knows your every thought. (laughs) It doesn't turn out so good. It, it, It infuriated them. Verse 11 says, They themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. That's what their religion led them to. Levitical law would not have prevented this healing. Uh, It would have actually prioritized the healing. Uh, It's the laws fabricated by by men that prevented the healing. That's how they invalidated the word of God for the sake of their tradition. Happens in churches all the time today. A form of religion with no true love or compassion and sacrifice and service to God. But as Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, he never broke the Sabbath law. His actions were actually serving God as God wanted to be served. Uh, So it became impossible for Jesus to break the Sabbath law and those who are in service to Christ the King who were also in service to God, were incapable of breaking the law as well. So the question we've all been waiting for, what is the, the question that, that, that is, needs to be answered here? Can we as Christians break the Sabbath day law? That's what you want to know, right? Can we violate the fourth commandment? Realizing that last week, 
the fourth commandment, the Sabbath day was codified on Mount Sinai and is part of the Mosaic law. Are we under obligation to keep the Mosaic law? No. Easy one, right? Do, you, do your male children need to be circumcised? Not asking if they are circumcised. No. Do they have to be circumcised? No. That was, that was settled at the Jerusalem Council way back. That was taken care of. Uh, do Christians have to observe the dietary restrictions and, and, and stay away from pork and shellfish and other things? No. No. In Mark 7 verse 19, Jesus declared, all food's clean. In the book of Acts, we see Peter and the sheet coming down from heaven. And God said, take up Peter, kill and eat. Not, not only that, but... Uh, um, Russell Lokes this morning as he was teaching Bible Life Group brought up Peter in Galatians. And Peter was starting to sit with, with the Jews and just eating according to the custom of the Jews. What did Paul tell him, the Apostle Paul? He stood condemned because he was taking people back under the law. That's where we'll finish up. Folks, we are free from the law. Galatians 5 verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. He set the captives free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Yoke of slavery is, is key uh, terminology for the law. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Some men out there look nervous. What Paul is saying to the churches in Galatia is that if you want to be justified before God, under the law, according to the law, you don't just keep one tenet of the law. You have to keep the whole law. Perfectly. In other words, you have to be Jesus if you want to be justified by the law. And Paul is not merely talking about circumcision. That's, that's just his example. He uses circumcision because the Judaizers who were there that day, those who were trying to make Christians into Jews, um, they were demanding circumcision. You can insert any precept of the Mosaic law into Paul's argument, and the consequence would be the same. Dietary restrictions, forcing people to observe temple sacrifices. If you demand any of these, Scripture says you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Galatians 5 verse 4. You have fallen short, Paul says, of understanding grace. He's not saying you fell, lost your salvation. He's saying if you think you're being justified by the law, you've fallen short. It's like shooting at a target and your arrow dropping 30 feet before it. You've missed the mark. You don't get it. You didn't understand. And like with David's men, the law holds no jurisdiction over Christians. That, that includes the Sabbath day. That requirement codified into law. Galatians 5 verse 18 it says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And every, every true Christian who is indwelt by the Spirit of God is, is to some extent led by the Spirit of God. 
If you're led by that Spirit of God, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, you are not under the law. Law is the opposite of grace. It's the antonym of grace. They're, they're diametrically opposed to one another. And since the Sabbath day regulation is part of the law, do you want to be striving to keep it in your efforts? To become acceptable to God, do you want to be striving to keep the Sabbath day? Insert that into where circumcision was. Because if you do, you're obligated then to keep the balance of the law as well. If you think that's what satisfies God, the only thing that satisfies God is the complete obedience of the law, and that is in Jesus Christ. You can't parse out one section of the law and say, well, I'm going to keep that. That's kind of my pet. And I'm going to call myself better than other Christians because I keep that little part of the law. You can't do that. Uh, Folks, the the Seventh-day Adventists, they're in really big trouble here. Really big trouble. They, they, they believe they are keeping the Sabbath day. Not resting in Christ, but their Sabbath is in a day. The preachers who demand that Christians observe Sunday as the new kind of Christian Sabbath day, folks, they're in trouble. They're putting people under the law. There's nowhere in Scripture where the Sabbath day is transferred from Saturday to Sunday. I'm not under the law to keep dietary restrictions, temple sacrifices, Sabbaths, or anything else instituted under the law. You might say, well, okay, I'm somewhat following you. I'm not under the law. I know that as a Christian, but I still have a question. Isn't the Sabbath day still one of the Ten Commandments? That's a legitimate question. What if a Seventh-day Adventist or other Judaizers, there are lots of groups out there that are trying to, to bring people back under the law, force them to eat different things. We talked about that this morning in Bible Life Group. Uh, but especially uh, Seventh-day Adventists will run into quite a bit on this particular subject, the Sabbath day. If an Adventist tells me the Sabbath day was mandated way back at creation, before Mount Sinai, and it was mandated by God. It wasn't. He didn't mandate it. God didn't mandate it on the patriarchs. He modeled it. But, but they'll tell you that. Is there another way to be certain that the Sabbath day does not have jurisdiction over us? I'm glad you asked. Responding to the yoke of slavery uh, brought by the requirements of the law, the Apostle Paul says this to Chris, Christians, In Galatians 4, verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Special days, seasons of feasts, they they were significant parts of the law, important parts of the law. Paul says, if you observe ceremonial days, I fear for you. Days are out. Ceremonial days of the law, under the law, they're out. Does Paul include the Sabbath day with that? 
That's another question they'll be asked. The answer is yes. Colossians 2 verse 16. No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what was to come or what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. No one acts as our judge according to a Sabbath day. No one puts us under the Sabbath law and says you have to observe Saturday or Sunday or any other day. Like the rest of the law, it it was a tutor to lead us to Christ. The Sabbath day rest was a shadow of what is to come in Christ, the full rest that comes in Christ. It was a day of rest that acted as a picture of the complete rest from the law that would be experienced in Christ. The Sabbath day pointed us to Christ. And we have now rested from the law in Christ. So Hebrews 4 says, there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Not a Sabbath day. There remains a Sabbath rest. As Hebrews 4 verse 9 told us earlier, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's not experienced in a day. It's experienced in Christ himself. He is our rest from the law. Christ is our Sabbath. For he is Lord of the Sabbath. And we are serving our King. The Sabbath day, just like the rest of the law, it has no jurisdiction over Christians. So when the Judaizers come and they condemn you for picking a grain of wheat or disobeying the Sabbath, eating pork, whatever else it is that they say pertains to the law, you can say with confidence that Christ has given me rest from that. I'm not under the law. In fact, friend, I fear for you because you think you are pleasing God by keeping the law, and it doesn't work. Sabbath rest was, was never transferred from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, even Constantine didn't have the authority biblically to do that. You might have heard that. Constantine declared it so. Constantine didn't have that authority. The Bible doesn't transfer the Sabbath rest from Saturday to Sunday. Under the new covenant, the Sabbath rest was transferred from Saturday to Jesus. We keep the requirement of the fourth command concerning the Sabbath by resting in the completed work of Christ. He is the Sabbath rest, and we all need to be diligent to enter that rest. Today is the day to enter that rest. No specific day, no particular day. Today's the day. Enter the rest of Christ. Uh, No matter what day of the week it is. One might ask, are we permitted to reestablish a Sabbath day? through parameters of Christian liberty found in Romans 14, verse 5. There it says, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. The answer is no. We're not allowed to reestablish a Sabbath day. Romans 14 does not permit us to reestablish a Sabbath day It permits Christians the liberty to regard one day as more important than another. I regard Sunday. Personally, I regard it as more important than other days 
of the week. It is my preferred day of worship. Might be yours. Because of a visible pattern in Scripture where we see the New Testament churches are, are typically gathering on the first day of the week. The day which Christ, Christ was raised, the first day of the week, they gathered. Um, this is what we'll discuss next week. Since we've now clarified that we're not keeping a Sabbath day, what does it mean to observe the Lord's Day in the grace of God? Um, I'm convinced in my own mind Sunday should be the preferred day for Christians to gather together for worship. I'm not observing the Sabbath day. Um, Scripture forbids me from condemning other Christians who gather on another day. They're free to do so. Let every man be convinced in his own mind. If you want to gather on a different day and you don't regard Sunday as more important than the others, you are free to do that. They're not breaking the Sabbath if they're baptized into Christ's rest. Seventh-day Adventists are not forbidden from worshiping on Saturday. They're not forbidden from that. They can worship any day they want. What they are not permitted by Scripture, or they're not permitted to do, actually they're prohibited by Scripture to do, is suggest that the rest of us are violating the Sabbath. That's where they fall wrong. And not mean to be, meaning to beat up on them folks. Um, it, it's that they're just the, the clearest example that we have uh, around us, or one of the clearest examples. Um, but they suggest we're violating the Sabbath, but we don't let anybody judge us by a Sabbath day. So we can have a preferred, preferred day, but we're not going to put ourselves under the law. They need to learn, discover the only Sabbath rest available is found in Jesus. He kept the law perfectly so that we find rest in his finished work. That is the Christian Sabbath. And that is the rest of the story. Folks, now we're free from the law. Um, can we do just whatever we want? There's an idea out there that there's nothing binding now on Christians at all concerning behavior. Uh, Christ died for your sins. You're free to behave however you want. That's called antinomianism against the law. That's a false doctrine. Um, there are many binding commands on Christians. One of them is that you shall not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So next week, we'll discuss the Lord's Day. The reasons this particular church chooses to worship on Sundays and the benefits of still taking a day of physical rest every week. Some people even suggest we should take two. Let's pray. Oh, great and loving Father. We think of the law, Lord, and all of the precepts and the codes and how complicated it all was, Lord, and the priests had to learn this and and disseminate the information to the people. And Lord, uh, what a challenge. But Lord, and we look at the law and we think even then, if someone were to slip and fall and make a little mistake, Lord, uh, your grace was there. Lord, the day of atonement would come and people would be, their sin would be covered. And Lord, we thank you that, that Christ has come and completely uh, obeyed and observed the law so that we don't have to. Lord, uh, thank you for him. Thank you for the rest that we, that we receive in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that we have in his body, being one of his very own. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.